you're not communicating to a to a crowd that's a standing crowd but you're communicating to a marching parade right mm, i like that and so this idea that you know the message is going to wear out i can only say something once and then i have to say it again it's just completely false everyone. Before you get to the podcast, this is Kirby Hoffman. I want to say thank you. And I want to tell you about my brand new book called Hit the Target. You can find that at Amazon or at hitthetargetbook.com. Now on to the episode. Well, hey there, and welcome to a brand new episode of Delivering Marketing Joy. I am your host, Kirby Hossman, and joining me today is a brand new rock star. I'm so excited to dive in today. He's a brand marketing expert from Creative Business Company. He's a specialist in developing positioning strategies that perform, and he has a decade of experience leading large-scale engagements over 15 countries around the world. Faisal Siddiqui, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Kirby, for having me on. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so excited to dive in today. So um, got to do a little bit of research on you. And so kind of some questions kind of directly into your area of expertise. So if if you're listening to this podcast, how can you build a big brand on a small budget? That's what everybody wants to know, right? It's a, and it's a common question. I think the short answer is you can't do it um, with performance marketing alone. And mm. The reason why, um, I think especially with a lot of the clients that we work with, is they don't have unlimited marketing budgets. And so they need to be really looking at their cost of acquisition, right? So we can't spend an unlimited amount of money uh, to, to acquire a customer. And if you think about, um, generally, like there are two main types of marketing. There's brand marketing, which is mm-hmm broad-based advertising that sells a bit of a soft story about the company. It's not trying to sell a product right away. And then there's what we call direct response, or often it's called performance marketing, which is that's more trying to sell something right now. So mm-hmm. that could be, you could use a promotion or a discount. And for a lot of small um, businesses and brands who can't afford the brand, the typical brand marketing with the, with, with the billboards and so on and so forth, um, they'll often invest all of their money into into the performance marketing. Let's mm-hmm. do the hard sales, and and you've got to. We totally understand that. You know, uh, not everyone has a budget to do big brand marketing type of stuff. Mm-hmm. The challenge with the uh, with the latter approach, which is the performance marketing, is that your cost to acquire customer can really run away from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And so, if you think about um, why has that why has this become kind of an endemic problem and why is this facing so many businesses well if you think the uh, about the end the advent of uh digital performance-based marketing you know doing ads on facebook or doing ads on using google or what have you the great thing about all of these uh platforms is that it allowed people to compete um at a lower cost per ad right so it made advertising a bit more democratic and then it was also more transparent you got the data, you could figure out, did it work, did it not? All of those things are wonderful, and we're big proponents of performance marketing ourselves. One of the challenges with a lot of these uh, ad platforms, though, is that they have a hidden flaw. And what that hidden flaw is that they're all based on the auction-based bidding system. And so what is an auction-based bidding system? Well, auction-based bidding system is that you have lots of different 
brands who are competing to own keywords. So say, for example, someone's on the internet, I'm, I'm selling uh, shampoo. If someone types in a shampoo or different types of conditioner versus shampoo or whatever, I want my ad to show up there. Well, you and probably all of your competitors. So yeah. immediately <laughs> you're in a bidding war, right? right. And if you, think about, um, if you think about buying a ticket to go to somewhere warm in the winter, the price of that ticket's a lot higher than it is in the summer. Right. So right. It, in exactly the same way, what happens is um, uh, you enter into an inflationary environment where the cost to acquire each one of those ads, to have your ads shown, goes up. Mm-hmm. And what's happened over the last decade, and and at an even more exponential pace of the last two to three years, is that the, the cost to acquire a customer has gone two or three times higher. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. So your ad costs have now gone up. The second challenge with performance marketing um, is because you are targeting ads based on keywords, you are what we call only going after a small sliver of the market. Mm-hmm. And it's the small sliver of the market who are actively shopping the category right now. Mm-hmm. Why can we say that? Well, if it's based on keywords, I've got to be typing in something about shampoo, right? Yeah. Yeah. I got to be, I have to be somewhat warm. I, I have a, I have a need I, I want to solve. I've got some dirty hair. I've got some dandruff. I don't, I'm bald, but <laughs> in our fictional, uh, in our fictional, uh, example, this person has a problem they want to solve. There's a great statistic though that comes out of the Ehrenberg Bath Institute of Marketing in Australia, which is called the 95-5 rule. And what the 95-5 rule says is that over the lifetime of any company, 95% of the revenue that they'll bring in, get this, will come from customers who are not shopping the category right now. Mm, that's interesting. So what does that mean? That means only 5% of the revenue you're going to get this year are actually going to come from people who got a problem or are looking for, for a solution or comparing one shampoo brand versus the other. The other 95% don't have a need right now, mm-hmm. don't have scratchy or itchy hair, and don't care about your brand. So... Performance marketing, because it's based on keywords and it can only go after people who are actively shopping the category, is ignoring those 95% of, of potential shoppers. And, and we really boil it down. We call it, it's the difference between converting existing demand versus building future demand. Mm-hmm. So that's the second reason. And then the third fundamental reason why um, it's not a good idea to put all of your money into performance marketing is inherently you're using the wrong sales approach. So if you think about the types of messages that work in performance marketing ads, it's a really small space, you've got to sell hard, and you're probably going to go, and the, and, and the most effective thing to say is like a two-for-one sale or some type of discount or limited mm-hmm. time off. So that's great for those 5% of people who are shopping the category right now. But if I don't have a need and my hair is not itching, that means nothing to me. Right. And so that same type of message as well does not reach the 95%. Right. So what we try to advocate uh, for our clients, and we don't just work for big clients, we work for startups as well, is that you have to think about your marketing and you have to allocate your marketing budgets around 50-50 between the hard selling sales stuff, but then also the brand marketing. And the way we think about brand marketing is we're not talking about Super Bowl ads or bus billboards. In the digital age, what are we talking about? We're talking about adding value. We're about delivering unique insights on on your category or trying to help your client solve their problem. 
And you really want to make it early. It's not really about solving the, it's not really about shampoo. You know, when I say added value, I'm not talking yeah. about creating a blog saying, you know, 10 ways to know the difference between one shampoo brand or another. Right. I'm talking about way earlier. You know, you, we could be doing blogs or white papers on how to le- live a healthier lifestyle so you don't lose your hair, right? right? And so by delivering that soft content, I want I want listeners to think about brand marketing in that way and reframe yeah. how they think about brand marketing. It's not about selling a product. It's about telling a simple story about your company and it's about helping them solve their problems far earlier in their purchase journey. And really the name of the game here is with brand marketing, you're not trying to compete at the point of purchase where it's really, really expensive. Rather, you're trying to hit the customer far earlier in the journey and doing so is cheaper, um, Mm -hmm. it's easier, and and there's far less competition as well. Yeah, I love this, Fazal. This we're kindred spirits on this. I, I 100% agree with all the stuff you just said there. And again, there's nothing wrong with performance marketing. I I, I kind of call it direct marketing. Same concept where you are going for yeah. the sale. Nothing wrong with that. But I think you do need both um, to have a well-rounded marketing plan. So I think that's great advice, man. Um, so next up, I've, I've heard you talk about challenger brands. So how can a challenger brand position themselves for profitable growth? Well, I think, this, um, again, I'll start with what not to do, and then okay. I'll go into what to do. Okay. Um, the first dragon I'd like to slay is that there's this kind of corrosive trend in thinking about um, purpose in the same breath as talking about positioning. Hmm. And so you'll have a lot of small companies saying, I don't know, um, you, you'll have our, it, well, let's take our shampoo uh, brand, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll go to their website, and they'll say on their About Us page, they'll say something about how you know, their purpose is to strengthen their communities one hair strand at a time or something <laughs> like that. And, 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 and this is kind of rife throughout marketing where purpose mm-hmm. became this kind of fad. And the challenge with, um, I would even use the word indulging in exercises like this, is it, it does have a certain internal value for employees, maybe rallying them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's incredibly value destructive to, th- to use any kind of purpose messaging in your marketing. And mm-hmm. for three reasons. One, all purpose statements are bland by design. So if mm-hmm. you think about how you write a purpose statement, you generally go up the marketing benefit ladder and you say, here are features, okay, that unlocks certain benefits, but let's go beyond the intangible benefits, let's go to the emotional benefits, and then let's go one rung higher. Well, you and your you and your competitors in your category are all doing the same exercise. And when you go up the benefit ladder so many times to talk about your purpose, inevitably you get into a really generic Place, which is this is exactly why if you look within the airline category, the purpose for Delta, Southwest, American Airlines, I guarantee you, in fact, I know for a fact, all says something to the fact about helping communities connect together, right? Yeah. <laughs> or any any telco is going to say, you know, we're helping people come closer together and, and, and build communities. So just using or or in, engaging in that per, in, a, in, a, in a purpose um, initiative is fine perhaps for to rally the troops internally, but you don't want to use that as your marketing message because it's generic. The second reason is that it's not actually related. If you think about the themes that 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 that, that take place within a purpose a statement, they're more about kind of helping communities a bigger why, right? Mm. And often that bigger why isn't related to the problem people are trying to solve, mm. right? So in, in technical marketing jargon, we basically say they're not aligned with the driver's purchase. Mm. And then the final reason is a lot of these uh, uh, purpose statements tend to 
um, when you when you activate them, when you write about them, they tend to be written in a single type of personality tone, which is this very let's save the world kumbaya type of tone. And that's very creatively limiting for a brand. If you think about mm -hmm. some brands like T-Mobile, they're very shouty. They've mm -hmm. got a lot of attitude, right? So you, you're not you're not allowed to do that. So going back to the positioning, how can a, how should a challenger think about their positioning? I want our, your listeners to think about a positioning as really distilling the unique value your brand can provide. Mm -hmm. And especially for a challenger brand. So the way we define challenger brands, anyone really not a, a number one, two, or three. Yeah. And if you're not a, a number one, two, or three in the category, you have to give me a heck of a good reason to not go to those top three players and even consider you. Right. And so really, when they come to your website, you can't afford to be talking about your community and CSR programs or any of that. What is the unique value that you can deliver? So that's the first thing that we think about is distilling the unique value. The second thing we talk about when we're doing a good positioning exercise is it's not just something that sits within the marketing department. It's not just a communication thing. So we often talk about aligning an entire organization around a single positioning. Why? Because that positioning should inform the customer experience. It should inform the service experience. Think about Rick Carlton. Their positioning statements, a famous example is, ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Mm -hmm. And what's the beauty of that example? Well, their main proposition is delivered through their staff. And so their positioning line speaks directly to their staff and it informs a type of service culture. And then finally, you want to dramatize that positioning. You want to talk about it in the most dramatic way possible. Mm -hmm. So we talk about tone and personality. And then you want to talk even about visual identity. How can we express this positioning in a very unique way? So if you think about T-Mobile, they, they are the uncarrier. Um, and their CEO, Jean, their former CEO, Jean Legere, had a famously uh, hot temper. Why? Because he was angry about the injustice uh, of the telcos against most Americans. They're screwing you out of your money, right? And then their visual identity challenged their positioning of being the uncare by being hot pink. It didn't look like anything else in the category. So there right. needs to be a really red, like clear line between the positioning, which is the unique value that you deliver. It has to be expressed beyond just communications. It informs the experience, informs the product. And then finally, you express that both visually and verbally um, across the different assets of your brand. Man, that's good stuff. This is like a masterclass. I really appreciate this. This is good stuff. So um, how can you get the impact? Because, I mean, TV is something that um, historically, you know, if you wanted to make a big impact, TV was one of the ways to go. So, But how do you make an impact of a TV campaign for a fraction of the cost? Where the money goes beyond actually the uh, media buy, where the most amount of money goes in, 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 in creating TV ads is actually in the production shoot. Right. So if you think about that, you have to rent a space, you have to get extras, you have to do voiceover, you have to do editing, all of those things. So we came up with this idea, and um, it's available on creativebusinesscompany.com, where we talk about getting a year's worth of ads in one go. Mm. And the basic idea is you can save a whole heck of a lot of money if you pool all of those production costs and basically say, we're going to go on set one, set, excuse me, we're going to go on set once a year. And then from that thing we'll shoot, we're going to get five or six commercials. Mm. And the only way to do that is to say, we know exactly what our positioning is. You know this, in a positioning, there's different, what we call brand pillars, there's themes underneath. And within a single ad, what you have to do is before you go on set, you're not just writing for one 30 second commercial. 
But in, in our 245 framework, what we talk about is you have one 60 second commercial, then you have what we call 15 second short stories. So you're using the exact same creative, but then you're cutting it from the, from the 60 into the 15s. And then you're also engaging in a photo shoot. So then you're going to get a static library of images, which you can then use on your organic social. So just by thinking ahead and doing a bit of pre-planning and saying, what is the total number of messages that we want to uh, deliver to our audiences in one year? And then really write your scripts and write your commercial scripts so that it yields you all of those uh, outputs um, by just going on onto set once. Hmm. That's that's a great idea. Well, it's, it's super effective to do something like that. I like that a lot. Okay, final question. Um, what's the biggest mistake small companies make with their marketing? Hmm. Other than putting too much money into performance marketing, I would say... Um, it's switching their message too mm. often. Okay. And so there's really good data which talks about um, how do you improve the probability that someone's going to remember your marketing? We're, well, very simply, if, I, if you think about the number of times that you have to engage with your audience, and, and there's this Ogilvy quote, David Ogilvy, the famous uh, advertising mm -hmm. legend, he always said, you're communicating, you're not communicating to a, to a crowd a standing crowd, but you're communicating to a marching parade, right? Mm, I like that. And so this idea that, you know, the message is going to wear out, I can only say something once and then I have to say it again, it's just completely false, right? There's tons right. more people that you're continually going to have to speak to. So that's the first thing. The second thing, though, is going back to what I was saying before, there's a really interesting data around how do you increase the probability of being remembered? Well, I, if I only have the opportunity to speak to this moving parade five times, I'm not going to say five different things. Rather, I'm going to say the same thing five times. Right. And I think what a lot of small companies do is that they switch up their messaging. You can have different variations on a sim single theme, but often I see a, a lot of small companies put out a campaign for two or three weeks, and then change the message and change mm -hmm. the message and change the message. And when you don't have a big media budget, you just can't afford to be having that degree of variability. Rather, it's far more effective to know what you want to be famous for, invest that time up front in doing the brand positioning, and then your message is set. And then you just have to repeat that ad nauseum. And yeah. just for, as a small anecdote, um, on LinkedIn, we do a lot of social media. We reuse our ads. So we have what we call our, our really good bangers. Yeah. We will reuse them, and we know we'll get good traction on them, and it saves us so much time. So that's what I would encourage people to do. Know what your message is and stick to it. I think that's incredible advice. I, I I heard somebody say, I think it was Donald Miller that I read one time, and he said that marketing is an act of memorization. And it's that's like wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was like, that's exactly yeah, yeah. it. <laughs> like that's it's, is get what, and it was funny because um, you know our tagline is delivering marketing joy. That's our company, right? And so yeah. I knew I was onto something when my clients started to say it back to me. But it's like that takes a lot of time, right? That and is so, rare. Yeah, that's uh, wonderful. Yeah, so that's great, great advice. You have achieved, you have reached the holy grail then. And that's exactly <laughs> why your audience needs to reach out to you. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. So do me a favor, tell me where, if somebody wants to learn more about you, where can they find you? Find us on creativebusinesscompany.com. Uh, you can also look up Creative Business Company on LinkedIn. I'm actually very uh, active on LinkedIn. Faisal Kadiki, just look me up. Uh, Creative Business Company, I will be there. Awesome. Well, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. You bet.
Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of Delivering Marketing Joy. We'll see you next time. Delivering Marketing Joy.